You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. All right, uh, Doug and Greg Stokes, Lanyap Podcast. We're uh, doing an early recording this week. It is Monday, November the 20th. We just recorded a few days ago, but a lot has happened in between Friday the seventh or Thursday the sixteenth and today, um, I think the first thing I want to say is it is Thanksgiving week, so uh, we just wanted to uh, express number one our thanks for everyone that listens to this and shares it with friends. Uh, I want to personally uh, say that I'm thankful for having a wonderful and healthy healthy fam- family and uh, great business, great clients, great teammates, and. Um, really live in the in the greatest country in the greatest period in uh, history of mankind. So a pretty uh, great uh, and amazing uh, life that we all have and uh, happy to share an hour of it or maybe a half hour of it every week with you all. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I, I can only echo what you, um, what you just said. I'm thankful to have a healthy and happy family. Um, my oldest kid just turned 10, which is amazing to me. Um, and I'm also very thankful to be an American as well, too. Um, having traveled and experienced the world, um, I can see how much better we have it here than we ha- than we would have it elsewhere. And it just so happened that our, for- our forefathers basically chose the right place. They could have easily chosen to uh, emigrate to Argentina, for example. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about Argentina today because for those listeners who have been around for a while, I know that both Doug and I are uh, interested in Argentina, um, and uh, it's one of my personal passions, just the country itself and the history. Argentina's, uh, Argentina was originally populated by European settlers, which are our, for- our forefathers, and they could have easily chosen to, to emigrate to Argentina versus the United States. And we, lo and behold, that we were fortunate enough that they chose the United States. Um, Argentina, at one point in time, and the reason why we're talking about Argentina today is for those that, that are, um, haven't seen the news, they chose a. Um, they basically over the last hundred years they have been mostly under the control of uh, na- a nationalist socialist movement that was started by the uh, by Juan Perón and, fa- and famously Evita Perón, his wife, um, and then most most recently um, they were run by the Kirchner family. Um, um, and basically, over the last ninety or so years, they've been under this sort of like communist socialist type of movement. And then it was also a blend of nationalism as well too. This past weekend, they sort of repudiated that, um, that philosophy and elected a, a self-described anarchist libertarian by the name of uh, Javier Malay. I was really surprising. The markets were not expecting this. Um, and um, anyway, the markets, Argentinian markets are up significantly today with the, the hope that things turn around. Um, it's really a sad sort of, sort of situation there. The average salary is in the like the in the hundreds of dollars a month, um, which is much less than it was. You, you, there used to be a saying that as rich as an Argentine back in the early 1900s, because they were one of the richest nations in the world. Um, but anyway, it's a really interesting sort of um, uh, dynamic that exists in that particular country. And the elections this past weekend really surprised the market. Um, and, and it surprised me as well, too. I didn't think that it was going to be so, such a big landfall in favor of this individual. Um, this Just some some sort of tidbits in terms of what, I've, what I saw in uh, Argentine Twitter over the weekend um, and the, the sort of promising nature of, of this sort of uh, electorate, although there's 
there's concerns as well too because Javier Malay is sort of a radical that, and that if he stays under control, there could be some positive developments for that particular country. Um, this past weekend, he ran against Sergio Massa, who is essentially the current economic minister of Argentina. And Argentina has 140% inflation. So essentially, there, there was basically a, a, the vote was either continue with the status quo or elect Malay, who's an extreme outsider. The, there's, a, a, there's so much graft that goes on in corruption in Argentina that uh, the guy running against Malay, Massa, makes a salary of about $1,000 a month as the economic minister. And he was wearing a $1,000 pair of jeans when he went to go um, to vote in his picture um, when he was submitting his ballot. Um, the, uh, the vice president, uh, Christina Kirshner, um, who was, a, who was a, the, the president in the, in the 2012s and her husband was the president in the early 2000s, was flying around, has been flying around the country on YPF, which is the largest publicly traded company in Argentina's private plane. Um, so there's just all kinds of stealing essentially going on from the people. The government uh, itself, in the run-up to the elections, the government was trying to get reelected. And so what they did was they eliminated all income taxes for, for the 99% of the population and gave retirees like a bonus. Essentially, they, it's like trying to bribe the electorate right before the vote. Um, but the amount of uh, idiocy that has happened in that particular country is sort of astounding. They ran out of gasoline. There's, it's a super uh, oil and gas rich country, but they ran out of gasoline because they had ran out of dollars because they're trying to buy votes from their own electorate. And so that kind of that led up to the the final elections. And um, there's all kinds of other things that had happened um, that were just such a surprise that that um, that eventually the sort of the straw that broke the camel's back was this guy Malay came in. Um, so there's a lot of promise in that particular uh, landscape. And if anyone is interested in talking m- any more about Argentinian politics, um, give me a shout because I've got a lot more data in here. But we're not going to spend our whole time talking about that particular country. There's a lot going on here in the United States and in, in markets, et cetera. So with that sort of digression, Doug, where are we going to go from here? Yeah, I want to say one other thing about this um, before we proceed. Um, I think from an economic perspective, uh, a business-friendly environment south of uh, the U.S. border, uh, n- not just Argentina, but in uh, much of Latin and South America, there's been a movement towards uh, pro-business uh, electorates. And and so we're seeing, um, should, which should be a, a ballast for economic growth over the next several years. So that should, any, any, positive economic growth near the borders of the United States is just a, another, um, you know, engine for, uh, prosperity, uh, in, in the homeland. And so, uh, we'll see, uh, there's been decades of, uh, socialist, go- socialist government in Latin and South America. It seems to be reversing, um, course. So we'll see what happens right. there. Those countries all have demographics on their side. Like they're growing. Brazil is another example. The Brazil, Brazil just reelected Lula, who's a socialist and Colombia has got a socialist in charge right now, but he's super unpopular and Petro Mexican elections are coming up in the new year. So that's, that should be very interesting. It's, it's, um, they've had a socialist in charge of Mexico for a while, but Mexico's proximity to the United States has really allowed it to um, to grow economically, but the demographics in all of these places are really very much in favor of, um, economic growth, but they've had, pl- uh, basically corruption and, um, extreme sort of socialist views that in the socialists themselves have been corrupt. And so it's just been a, it's been a sad situation. Um, but 
I, I, and I don't know if there's, there's any sort of permanency. If for, first of all, if this, this guy Malay, he's, he's saying all the right things, but there's always risk in, in these sorts of, uh, outside leaders. Um, but if the, if these things can actually stick, then there's a huge potential because an Argentina's case, for example, was one of the wealthiest nation, nations in the world because it has all the ingredients to be a very prosperous country and that they have uh, oil and gas reserves that are humongous, farmland, uh, coastline, et cetera. But the same thing could be said of Venezuela. Like they're, I think they're either the first or second, they have the first or second highest oil reserves in the world. Um, Guyana has actually been in the news lately because Exxon is developing that area, which is on the northeast coast of uh, South America. But there's anyway, there's all kinds of positive positive trends um, in in Latin America, just from a demographic standpoint, economic standpoint, and then if they can figure out the political side of the equation, I absolutely agree with you that um, it could be the sort of sto- story of the you know the first half of the century or next fifty years, maybe. Yeah, and I think what what one of the things we've been seeing a lot this year has been the the amazing negative demographics that a country like China has, right? And so they're not, um, because of policies. And I think when we had Perth toll on earlier this year, she spoke about it. One of the policies of China over the last uh, generation has been one child. Uh, and that has led to, um, you know, a very major slowdown in, uh, you know, reproduction and uh, replacement of population. And so China's population is supposed to decline dramatically throughout this century, China, the rise of China has been from an, uh, a global economic growth perspective, been a, a big tailwind to developed countries that can outsource manufacturing, outsource labor and reduced uh, manufacturing costs to, to places like China. And, and that's going, that trend is going to reverse just because China's economic growth because of a declining population can't really keep up with where it's come from over the last uh, 25 or 30 years. And, and since China really opened up and joined the WTO. So when you have other countries that have, do have positive uh, demographics and, and higher population growth, like Africa, for example, or like South America, um, that replacement from lost production from the, the Chinese side will, will just generally be a positive for global economic growth and for uh, reduction in price of goods uh, just due to offshoring. So um, it's one it's one thing that's really interesting. The other thing is that China being in control of the CCP and having uh, a stranglehold on much of the manufacturing processes for developed country-based um, manufacturers, I think being able to, to change uh, location of supply chains out of that uh, country and into uh, more economically friendly and business friendly countries, I think will ultimately be a good thing for uh, U.S. and European based, uh, specifically manufacturers. Right. So I'll, we'll leave this um, this particular topic um, with a a joke that um, I've heard, and I'll share with you guys. Um, Arge- so let's see here. I'm going to read it verbatim. Uh, the- There's a joke about Argentina that says when God created it, all the angels protested, saying it wasn't fair. They claimed such a land with all its resources would easily become a superpower. So God said, in quotes, don't worry, I'll fill it with Argentinians, close quote. So hopefully this particular um, election sticks um, and there is some more moderate political behavior there because it really does have all of the ingredients to succeed. And you could say the same thing about all, like not all of the, the nations in, in South and South America, but you could certainly say that about Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, et cetera, that they have all this potential. And it really... 
would be, um, and the Argentines themselves are great people as well too. There's some fantastic people. So I hope this is a turning point for them. Um, and, um, hope they can experience the same sort of thing that thing that, that America has experienced with all the, the natural resources we have, but we have a much more stable political landscape, obviously. Yeah. Let's, let's shift gears and talk about, um, a couple other major developments over the weekend. One is sort of an, an economic anecdote. Uh, and, and we had a huge formula one race in Las Vegas, the, uh, the pundits and Twitter sphere over the last couple of weeks has been that just the lack of, of crowds in Las Vegas leading up to the Formula One race. And we have uh, a first-hand, first-hand account from Joe Pompliano, uh, who was there for uh, the race this weekend and just gave some commentary. Uh, he said, uh, I was in Las Vegas for Formula One race this weekend, and on-the-ground experience was very different from what you've read on social media. Here's a breakdown of my experience. Number one, and this is one we'll really focus on. Las Vegas was packed all weekend. I stayed at the Wynn, and it was super busy. There were thousands of people on the casino floor at night. The top restaurants were booked out weeks in advance for dinner. The Formula One pop-up shops were selling thousands of dollars of merch every hour. I visited hotels like the Venetian, Caesars, etc. They all seemed pretty busy. It felt like a major disconnect between what I was seeing online versus reality on the ground. That was that F1 is super expensive sport and the top restaurants uh, in Vegas benefited from more than normal spots. As for the race, it was uh, was the the FP1 was at least attended a session. And it sucks that people only got to see nine minutes of racing. Bottom line here, and, and we talk about this a lot uh, when we travel, it's uh, are the are the hotels packed? Are the restaurants packed? Are the airports busy and how to gain any sort of insight economically from those anecdotes. And I think that this is one, uh, just to remember my, my wife actually had to travel for work last week and she left, uh, New Orleans airport on Monday morning. She said it's the busiest she's ever seen the airport. They were backed up all the way up the escalators trying to wait in line, uh, to get through TSA. And so despite a 500 plus basis point increase in the fed funds rate since the beginning of 2022, it seems like there is some major major resiliency in the economy. We're seeing that in data. We're seeing that in, in inflation come down without uh, having major deflation or a slowdown in growth. And so um, these are just other uh, good things to see from the perspective of real-time economic indicators that people are sp- spending money traveling. Uh, they have discretionary uh, uh income that they can spend and that interest rates haven't really been a huge driver of uh, economic slowdown. Yeah. Um, speaking of that formula one, uh, issue that did that it doesn't like, I, I watched videos of people that were observing that and they were basically, there was like a flash of light when the cars go by and it's extremely loud and you're obviously not able to see like the entire track. I, I don't know why you would ever want to go. Right, it's, <laughs> it sounds like, and it's, it was super expensive. So I don't know exactly what the enjoyment factor is, I guess it might be, maybe it's like the actual event itself and the build up the social thing. Yeah. The social thing, but it looks actually kind of miserable. Um, and then the, there were people that had the, their, their Apple watch, which you can detect sound. Um, and it's like your, it's like uh, ear blistering noise that, that happens when the things drive by. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I, um, if you go out to restaurants and you go on airplanes, et cetera, things are, things are, um, packed. Um, I, I thought there was at least like this past summer we were, we went to Alabama for over Labor Day and I noticed that there was somewhat of a slowdown there. So maybe it is cal- calming down a little bit, but, um, it is, I am really surprised if you would have told me 
um, that the Fed was going to increase rates from zero to 5% or 5.5% or whatever it is in 20 months and we wouldn't have a recession. I would, I would base, I would kind of laugh in your face probably, but that's, yeah, we're not out of the woods yet. I mean, that one thing we need to uh, hedge ourselves with is that, um, just like we've talked about in the past, shelter is a lagging, uh, lagging indicator. Definitely interest rates are too. I mean, as soon as the fed raises rates, you don't have for the majority of people that are utilizing, uh, leverage, which really that's what interest rates impacts. It's not an immediate impact. Uh, to you it's it's felt over time and so um the, the, uh, well, we've talked about the the advantage yeah and you never know re- recessions are defined in hindsight so even if we have a recession we're not going to know until it's over um but it, as it relates to the com- consumer the american consumer and corporate america they've we're fortunate enough to have a significant amount of the borrowing done at lower rates and so even though the price of like everything has gone up at least the debt is basically the, the vast majority of debt is at very low rates, which is helping people's pocketbooks. Um, and eventually the Fed's going to cut. I mean, they're going to, and they're, the only way they're going to cut is they're going to see weakening economic data. And that's really what's been the sort of driver for the market thus over the last couple of weeks is that there's actually the Fed's indicated they're going to slow down. And there's been data that's come out that's re- reinforced that position um, in that the, their inflation's coming down. Um, job openings are coming up. So more weakness in the economy is a good thing from the perspective of that bad news is good news right now because it basically reinforces what the Fed's going to do. But it's bad news that's not so bad, and there's good signs in it as well too. So there's really sort of a really nice mix of news coming out. For example, inflation's coming down, um, and and, and wage increases are, are going up, but they're going up at a much lower rate. So there's these things. And GDP is positive. I mean, that, that's the uh, you know inflation coming down, but still a healthy and stabilizing, slightly growing economy is, is a positive thing. And this is from uh, Mark Zandi, who's the chief economist at Moody's. He says the economy is meaningfully less interest rate sensitive than in times past. The tweet thread that follows lays out the case why, but the big reason why the economy has avoided a recession despite the Federal Reserve's aggressive rate hikes A big reason for the economy's increasing rate insensitivity is that households have admirably locked in previously record low rates. Only 10% of household debts have rates that adjust within one year of change in market rates. That's down from 35% in the early 1980s. Less than 15% of bonds outstanding of non-financial companies will reach their maturity in the coming two years. Even more impressive is that corporate interest payments as a percentage of corporate cash flow is about as low as it's ever been. So, um, yeah, that's really, that's the story from the last 18 months is people utilized, not just people, but people and companies utilized, uh, 2020 and 2021 to refinance debt at historically low rates. Now that ultimately will wash out as those debt maturities come up, but there's still major runway there and allows for the federal reserve to, to, you know, pull off, uh, the, you know, ease off the brakes a bit on interest rates, uh, and still avoid, or at least have some sort of softer landing. Yeah, and potentially pull off the uh, the unthinkable because something like ninety nine percent of Fortune five hundred CEOs at one point in twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two when they did this polling thought that we were going to have a recession, and if they can actually get that that done, it's um, pretty amazing. Done meaning go through a rate rising cycle, slow down inflation, and then avoid a recession is sort of you know would be a, almost an economic miracle. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of um, disruption along the, the way, obviously, from the standpoint of the Fed raising rates. 
specifically in the bond market. We've had the worst three-year stretch in rolling three-year stretch in bond market history in the United States and going back like, you know, however old the country is now, uh, 250 years or whatever. Um, the, uh, the, that being said, interest rates have come off significantly and the, the rates on bonds were high at the beginning of this year. So as of Friday, the Bloomberg, the Bloomberg aggregate bond index inched to about 0% um, net return year to date. So there's some sort of glimmer in the bond market as well, too. Um, I'm reading this is a, a, a tweet storm that this guy prepared, Bianco. Um, the bond market suffered uh, lo- losses in 21 and 2022, and on pace for, we're on pace for a positive year as it stands right now, or flat year. Only twice since 19, pardon me, twice since 1793 has the bond market had uh, three consecutive losing years. It's going from, it's 1967 to 69 and 79 to 81. That said, on a rolling three-year basis, this has been the, the worst three years in the last 180-plus years. Um, another way to measure this, even at Friday's close, the drawdown of the Bloomberg Bond Index is um, far far and away bigger than anything we've seen in the 1980s. So pretty crazy time. Um, interestingly, you know, if we talked about this, that the, um, the, the, the sort of magnificent seven um, is um, trading at like a 50 times PE right now. Um, which is pretty pretty amazing. They bounced back last year. The, we're talking Magnificent Seven: Nvidia, Facebook, Amazon, Google, Microsoft. Am I missing any? Meta, Apple, Meta. Um, those those stocks were all down fifty percent last year in round numbers. That yeah. that basket. Basically, this everybody year. wishes they didn't own the Magnificent Seven last year, and now they wish that they had owned it this year. Is the yeah. uh, <laughs> right? And and what happened is. That there, so the the PE on the broader market is like eighteen times or something like that. Price to earnings ratio, meaning the the value of the market subscribes to the each dollar of earnings that that the broader market has is about eighteen times. You pay eighteen times the value of the of the, the S and P five hundred, for example. But those companies you pay fifty times five zero. Um, so you're paying a huge premium, but on a relative basis that. That uh, forward PE ratio for the Magnificent Seven is now is slightly below average, going back to 2015. So those so those stocks for the last this 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 economic cycle and going back to the last one were trading at that same valuation or, or or right around it, which I thought was a pretty interesting interesting statistic. The difference, obviously, is that those companies were a lot smaller um, back then and probably weren't the except for a few of them were not you know major components of the index. Um, NVIDIA was probably a mid-cap stock at that point in time, so maybe justified to have that valuation. But now it's one of the biggest companies in the, in the country. So interestingly, on, interesting on, on, on the valuations of the, the stock market in those particular um, companies. And, and uh, so, Doug, what do you think about that? Um, love to get your thoughts on it. Well, I want to focus on really one of them, which is uh, Microsoft, because they've been they were in the news over the weekend. Uh, if if you haven't heard, uh, OpenAI, which is the uh, creator of chat gpt and really which launched the boom of late 2022 and all of 2023 and interest and spend and mark up a value of ai companies um over the weekend OpenAI's board for some illogical reason decided to fire uh the founder and ceo sam altman uh in response to that the uh the coo i believe uh resigned and then uh there was a, a 
letter signed by something like 550 of the 700 OpenAI employees stating that they would all quit unless uh, the board resigned and Sam was reinstituted as CEO. They were unable to do that. And so what happened was uh, this morning, uh, Microsoft announced that Sam and uh, Greg, who's the uh, second in command, as, as well as a number of their teammates, were joining Microsoft. And essentially, it, it ended up being an acquisition of the intellectual capital of OpenAI by Microsoft for essentially zero zero dollars. Uh, OpenAI was recently valued at $90 billion. And an acquisition by Microsoft would have never passed um, the FCC or FTC or one of those the agencies' uh, uh, monopoly rules and antitrust rules. Uh, but because they just hired, they they got the intellectual capital, the individuals, uh, Microsoft being able to walk away from this deal, uh, pretty in a pretty sweet position, and basically now are the de facto leaders in in AI. They also had a planned fifty billion dollar investment in the space and in growth of data centers. And so, uh, if you're looking at uh, where's the best AI play now, it might be just sitting under the hood of one of these magnificent seven. Whether it's Nvidia that is the chip maker for all the GPUs um, that power these algorithms, or if it's uh, Google with their uh, Bard uh, AI system, or now Microsoft, which is f- f- effectively taking over the largest and most productive alternative intelligence team in the in the world, is now going to be under the hood of uh, Microsoft's entire company. And so, uh, pretty amazing. Now, I, I don't know if it justifies valuation, and that, that r- remains to be seen. I've never been one that's been eager to pay fifty times earnings for a company. Uh, but there's a lot that's happening within these companies that uh, I think is amazing. Um, you know, one other company that's been the darling of the past 15 years is Apple. Apple really hasn't, at least uh, on the surface, uh, produced a whole lot of results or headlines in the a- AI space. Their company they traded about 31 times earnings, uh, but that's one that I think is a little curious because their earnings are are relatively stagnant. Uh, and and still trades at a pretty high multiple. Well, you know, Apple is Apple, so you know, they're probably going to buck the trend of of uh, saying that thirty one times earnings is not worth it. But that's one I'm a little bit uh, have a little bit of question marks around. Yeah, and then uh, the the one that I guess was really a was a conceivably huge um, buying opportunity in hindsight. I guess they're all buying opportunities in hindsight. But people were hating on Meta, which is the Facebook parent company, last year. Um, they're getting involved in AI as well too. But if you just think about the actual components of that business, the portfolio companies like WhatsApp, for example, they own WhatsApp and Instagram. Um, it's pretty amazing the value proposition they have. They don't have any debt. Um, interest, so it's all very interesting in terms of the individual value propositions of those magn- magnificent seven um, makeup companies, portfolio companies. And um, I, uh, I think there's a lot of there's they're all obviously very great companies, but what's you have to decide what if you're willing to pay 50 times earnings for the basket of them, which um, is quite expensive, obviously. But relative to the last not eight or nine years, it's not so bad. Um, Doug, I want to leave this podcast with a, uh, a a a quote from an NBC poll: just 19 percent um, of people in polled feel that they feel said they feel confident that life for their children's generation will be better than it has been for them. An all-time low result uh, on this poll dating back to 1990. 
I'd love to get your thoughts about that. And as it relates to, to the Thanksgiving um, comment you made at the outset. Yeah, I, I mean, I find it, um, it's disheartening. And I hope that uh, whatever is causing that sort of uh, anguish is is turned around. I don't really, I have some theories as to why that is, but more of a social science versus economic theory. Um, and I, I, I just think, uh, you know, I, I hope that uh, people that are having children now are, are really thinking about leaving the world a better place for their kids than they found it and trying to do what they can to make sure that that happens. So it says 19% of people feel confident. I think 19% of people are right, I guess, because I think that the world is going to be a better place in, in the future than it is today for our children. And the evidence bears that out. That's, the, the world is a better place today in 1990 than it was. Pardon me, better place today than it was in 1990 for sure. I mean, yeah, there's no, child there's poverty no doubt about it. Down. Um, like if you haven't read mortality, the book, uh, yeah, if you hadn't read the book, 10 Global Trends uh, by Marion Tupi, which we have, is, it's a coffee table book. We have it in our office. It essentially uh, debunks the uh, the narrative that the world is getting worse. I mean, every single metric that you look at, uh, we're improving less wars, uh, less poverty. Uh, you know, people are living longer. They're, uh, you know, they're enjoying people, more people can discretionary. Read. Yeah, people can read. I mean, the people can access the internet. Uh, it's just, uh, uh, it's, it's a sad, it's a sad state of mind, and I think that um, there's a there's a social aspect to that that needs to change. All right, if you guys enjoy this podcast, we hope you share it with your friends and family. Otherwise, we hope you have a uh, happy Thanksgiving, and please give us five stars if you haven't already. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.